0: Up next on Inside the SCCA, Spec Racer Ford. My guest on this episode of Inside the SCCA, a young, up-and-coming Spec Racer Ford driver from California, just won his third race in his fourth season in the class. Brian Schubert's with me today. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing great,
1: Brian. And I, I know I want to address one thing quickly. Uh-oh. It's always a Y, never an
0: I. That's oh. the proper way of spelling Brian. You know, I had what? considered not giving you grief about that. <laughs> but now that you've well, opened the door, <laughs> it's just wrong. It's just right, my friend. It's just wrong. <laughs> That's okay. So well, other Br- than
1: that, I'm doing great.
0: Brian spells his name with a Y. Of course, mine's with an I, the proper way, but... Uh, you know, despite that, I still invited you on the podcast. So, I mean, I- I've gotten past it. Apparently, you haven't. <laughs> I still hold some em- animosity there. I think. Apparently, <laughs> apparently. Okay. Well at least i can pronounce your first and last name i you know some of the <laughs> names i get at the racetrack i butcher and people have been either either just like oh another guy who can't pronounce my name or they're just really really nice because very few <laughs> people correct me um if you if i call a high school basketball game and i screw up a name the entire place turns around and looks at me so i'm sure yeah so All right. So welcome to the show. Um, I I appreciate this. Uh, Just a little background for the folks listening at home. Uh, I had planned and have planned and continue to plan that uh, over the course of the however many 25 years I end up doing this podcast to go over and do a podcast on every single one of our classes. And of course, you know, the SCCA, we don't do anything easy. There's 28 classes, I think now, maybe, 26 or 27 are nationals eligible. And then, and then there's a whole myriad of regional-only classes, and it's just crazy. So there's probably 50 classes around the country. Um, but there's 26 or 27 main ones. It varies which ones are national eligible, runoffs eligible every year, uh, depending on, on participation. Uh, but one that is never in question about whether there'll be enough pr- participation to go to the runoffs, is Spec Racer Ford. And, uh, and that's what, uh, what Brian drives, and we're going to go real deep into what that class is all about. Uh, in the second half of our podcast, the first half, of course, we're going to find out a little bit more about Brian. So let's start from the beginning. Um, wh- how did you get this racing bug?
1: So I never had the racing bug for the longest time. It took me 18 years to... Get hooked on racing. My dad raced uh, spec or uh, Formula Ford. He was around racing his entire life. He was he's been racing so long. He even raced go karts on the Ten Freeway when it was being built close to LA. So like he has been been doing it for a while. And he tried to hook me up with the whole racing thing, and I wasn't having it. I wanted nothing to do it with it. He wanted to go into midgets and dirt cars. Nope, wanted none of it. I wanted to swim. I wanted to play a water polo and. That was my goal i wanted to do it in college
0: so what changed i don't know like
1: i <laughs> honestly i've thought about this for a while because everyone's like well why did you get it racing i was like it just happened right. you called it the bug catching the bug i truly caught the bug it just happened overnight and i had this weird idea this radical idea i was like hey dad can I race go-karts? Can I, can I get into a go-kart? And I'm 18 at this point, maybe 17 at this point. And he's like, yeah, graduate high school and I'll get you into a go-kart. And then I was like, all righty. So (laughs) I kind of put swimming on the back burner and it was just like, I have to get into a go-kart. So I eventually did. And then here I am talking about, you know, racing and karts and all that fun stuff. So when was that? About what year? So I graduated high school in 2015. Oh. So that would mean probably about August of
0: 2015. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 2015. Oh boy, they get younger and younger every year. Every year, folks. Um, so, but but was there anything in particular that made you say go cars? What what was? I mean, I, so when your dad was going to the track racing, did he drag you along and make you go, or did you did he not make you go? So my dad stopped racing when i was born
1: i kind of oh. ruined the whole racing thing for him um he was still the uh one of the driving instructors for the long beach grand prix okay so for the celebrity races oh, yeah, yeah so so i kind of got to absorb that by proxy i guess but i, I wasn't enough to you know tip me over the edge for the racing right. um he did pace car stuff he did like ride and drive programs but still that wasn't enough to right. to send me to go-karts it honestly happened like super organically maybe it was like going to like the Elliott show or <laughs> or maybe it was just watching you know some you know indy car on tv I, I honestly couldn't tell you
0: <laughs> so going to go-karts as an 18 year old now this is the crazy how this sport works and 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 yep. If you're just tuning into the first, then you're not real familiar with 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 the way, you know, with SECA or motorsports in general. Because my hope is that people who've never been involved in racing might stumble upon this podcast and find out that hey, I can go do this. So for the handful of people out there who might not be be familiar, age 18 and go-karts, you are friggin' ancient at age 18. Oh, boomer. Yeah. You are, you are. At 18, year old. So what was it like the first time you showed up? What, what was your first cart? Let's start with that. So I did rental carts first. Okay. So
1: um, at Auto Club Speedway here in SoCal, they have the, the Cal Speed facility. Yep, and yep. it's these, uh, they're called sport carts. So they're fendered or bumpered yeah. uh, rental carts. And that's where I started. And now I know a lot of people are going to be like, boo, rental <laughs> carts, boo, sport carts. Let me tell you those people are addicted to sport cars like these people become hyper specialized in sport carts and it really teaches you how to race because the whole field is these terribly slow bricks and it is about those little micro mechanics Mm -hmm. how smooth you are on the throttle how smooth you are on the brakes these small movements of the steering wheel because right every time you turn the steering wheel it's basically applying the brakes and it really teaches you those fundamentals I honestly, I think that helped a ton for me because it was also, you know, people who are just getting their feet wet and racing. So it wasn't quite like the Zoomer city when I moved into the uh, 206, where it was all a bunch of like, you know, 15 year olds who are like trying to become the next, you know, Lewis Hamilton. So (laughs) it was a smooth transition, but also I had to really learn to race. So to put it into like perspective, there was 120 carts entered that weekend. I finished 118. So But you didn't finish
0: last. I didn't finish last and I had to fight for 118. Yeah. And that that was my goal for my first triathlon. Yep. I'm like, I just don't want to be last.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So so you did carts. How long did you last in carts before you you, you 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 graduated into something a little more non-cart-ish? So it
1: was two years of the sport carts and then two years of the two oh six, I think, or or maybe it was It was very little time in carts. Honestly, I probably should have spent less time in the, uh, sport carts and have gone to a faster cart. So the the 206, so then the X30 or a shifter or something on those lines, because from 18 to 21, I was doing go-karts. And then for my 21st birthday, my parents were like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, most 21 year olds. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to go to Vegas. And then I thought about it. I was like, I don't want to go to Vegas. Like I can do that, whatever. Right. Like. So I was like, hey, can I get my racing license? So I went to Bondurant. I did nice. three days in a Hellcat, one day in the uh, Formula Mazda. right? And that was truly, and I was like, I have to do cars. I have nice. to get into a car. And nice. that's, that's when I got a really, really addicted. Like I was addicted with the when I was doing go-karts, but it was a complete level of addiction change going from karts to Bondurant to the eventual Spec Racer Ford.
0: So, when you graduated high school, did you go to what did you do non racing after that? So, I went to uh, Cal State Fullerton. Okay. Uh, my undergrad
1: is in wealth management, retirement planning, and can't see my shirt, but yes. Formula FSAE. Yes, there. And yes. I, I know that Vargo was on a couple of weeks ago, that he brought on, you know, the SC guys for yep. FSE. But I had to write rep cal state florida okay. you know okay i i love that program best program in the world you know if i could speak to you know any of the young viewers here that are watching if you're going into engineering go to a college that has fsae and it will give you real world experience even if you don't want to do anything with
0: racing right it gives you practical engineering skills it's it's a true a true asset yeah, I, as I said on the SAE uh, podcast, I, I've been familiar with it for years. My best friend in in high school went on to an engineering school and did a formula SAE program. And I don't know if they've grown a whole lot since then. That now gets 30 years ago. Um, but it seems, though, most engineering schools, many of them, have some sort of a formula SAE program. And uh, if you want to learn more about that, uh, go check out the, uh, the Formula SAE podcast. Uh, there's also a connection between Formula SAE and the SCCA. Uh, a lot of uh, programs use our solo autocross events as testing sessions for their Formula SAE cars. So, um, and then I think also the SECA has something to do with your actual competitions, too. So, um, so that's pretty cool. All right, so you're doing that. You get your license at Bondurant. From there, do you go to Spec Racer Ford or do you go somewhere else? Straight to Spec Racer
1: Ford. So okay. I, so my birthday was in November. And then I basically take the school almost the first of the year um, or maybe the first or second of the year. And then I'm in Bondurant. And then I'm in a Spec Racer Ford like a week later. It was
0: a fast transition. Yeah, yeah. So going from the Formula Mazda and the Hellcat, did any of that translate when you got into the Spec Racer Ford? Actually, I would think that the... I would think that those sport carts were probably a better training ground for spec racer Ford than the Bondurant Hellcat, which is way overpowered, and then the Mazda, which is a a, a formula car, because like the sport carts, pretty much all the spec racer Fords are the same, and a lot of momentum is needed in that. We're going to get into all of this later, but I, I would think that the sport carts were actually a better training ground than Bondurant, right? both so i'll
1: give you three different answers we'll start off with heel and toe right the hellcat really taught me to heel and toe and i i don't do it correctly because i learned on a car that had a brake and a gas six miles away from each other (laughs) so most people do like that you know right you're like rolling your your toes on the uh brake and then your pinkies are kind of just like rolling over to the gas i go like at a 90 degree angle (laughs) because that's how i had to do it because The gas was so ridiculously far that if you want to heal a heel and toe, 700 plus horsepower, right? That was your option. And, and going to the Spec Racer Ford, it's not like a Formula Ford or even the Formula Mazda. The pedals are decently far away from each other. So you kind of have to go, maybe not to the extreme, like 90 degree, but it's like offset 45 degrees or something. So that was a true asset. Um, both the Hellcat and the uh, Formula Mazda, they have pretty high torque curves and so does the Spec Racer Ford. So it taught throttle modulation because if you have 700 plus horsepower, uh, you stomp on the throttle, you're going one direction, you'll be facing 180 degrees the other direction. So it, it taught how to be smooth at applying the throttle, but you are also correct. The sport carts, everybody being equal, them being kind of, slow, lumbery bricks, as I called them earlier, it it does help with that, too, because it's weight transfer. It's those small movements that I talked about earlier. That's that's a lot of the spec racer for it. If you watch any of the fast guys, it's these very small, like, micro movements you're not going to see these big seesaw actions because that's again all about slowing down the race car you don't want to do that especially when everybody's super equal speed wise
0: yeah we're gonna get into all of that here in just a bit and in a lot more detail so i'm guessing you rented to start with when you got into now here's something that i think is really cool by the way you own your spec racer ford i do so when and, and when I say you, I'm I'm not not your mom and dad. You own your Spec Racer Ford, right? No, my dad does, Oh, he does? <laughs> okay. I thought for some reason that, that, that you had actually done it. Okay. I was gonna say, I'm a broke master's student right now. <laughs> but you are in wealth management. That's why I was figuring, well, this
1: is pretty cool. I was at one time. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm now going to project management, supply <laughs> chain management. So I'm back in grad school and broke, you know, oh. as, as most college
0: students are presently right okay okay all right so i was gonna give you big props for having buying your own race car at a very young age but i guess it's it's fine it's (laughs) it's not (laughs) uncommon i did the same thing when i got started i was driving dad's race car so um uh, i'm just always impressed when i i do meet some young folks who've gotten so into it that they've decided to figure out how to make it how, how to pay for it themselves so um and there are folks out there that do that so um um so so you guys own the car now now you do something that you did something two things and and, and one of the things that i always advocate for you rented first to right. make sure you liked it mm-hmm. um how long did you rent before you guys say said okay this is for me uh about a half a season okay so we we technically ran the full year
1: but My dad didn't want to throw me into the deep end. So we didn't run the major races. We didn't run the races that weren't at Buttonwillow and the Super Tour. So we missed Auto Club, we missed Willow Springs, and we missed the Super Tour. So I ran five or six of the Buttonwillow
0: races. Okay. And that's a good way to do it. I mean, you know, when I was coming up and and a lot of – you couldn't go right into a majors type race. We didn't have that back then. Uh, We called them nationals. But uh, you had to do at least two regional races to get your regional license, and then you had to do another two, another four regional races to get your national license before you could go and do that. So there was a progression. Now, because of the way the rules are written, you can pretty much go right into the biggest events, other than the runoffs, um, with um, with just your regular, just off your novice permit, which. You know, it helps with car counts, but in some of the bigger classes, that can be problematic. Um, dad was smart. I'm glad you <laughs> you you, you, will, you listen to him. Uh, you know, 20 year old kids don't always listen to dad. Uh, I guess so. When dad's writing the checks, you listen to dad. Um, True. <laughs> but but it was a good learning curve, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
1: it was throwing me into the deep end, but there's also the ability to pull me back you know, in the event that I didn't like it or if, if something else was you know going on and. I was hooked, so we were kind of forced to go to the owning the car route. And I think kind of what pushed us to that as well was uh, that car was going to be updated for Trevor Acker a few years later. So it would kind of sit for two or three years, and now Trevor is running that car full-time and kicking butt with it. Got
0: it. Yes, absolutely. So, And the other thing you have done, and, and when you rented, you rented from one of the big Spec Racer, Ford, mega teams, uh, MBI out here on in Southern California. And, um, and, and there are pros and cons to going with a smaller team or with just a private person you're renting from. But the one thing you get when you go, especially with, you know, an MBI, is you get the, the wealth of knowledge that comes with that team. Um, and not the least of which is Mike Miserandino, who is, what, a 76-time national champion? I don't know how many national champions he's won, but plenty. At this point, a million. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty. And, and there's more on that team that have won national titles as well, I believe. And you get to take that knowledge and learn from that. And, and that must have been a big deal for you oh, I get data so I can overlay my data, see what Mike is doing. He's
1: on the throttle here. He's on the brake here. He's carrying this much G into the corner. And it is, there's so many tools. And also it's just like, I guess, managing the car. I mean, from like a, or like a, a working standpoint because the Spec Racer Ford is a hard car to maintain sometimes, especially since Enterprise has sealed most of the engine, transmission, things like that. So you kind of have to have, an expert and Mark Bellingy is certainly that expert. He knows just about everything about the spec racer Ford possible. Like I think he's he's seen every single thing, you know, that the car could ever have. So, you know, being part of MBI means if something does go wrong, they have the tools and equipment right. to fix it. And, and so it's both learning from a five time national champion other guys in the group who are very close to being a national champion. It's, it's just a wealth of knowledge from both fronts.
0: Right. And not only did you rent from them, once you bought your car, you have them do all the car prep and you still race with them on every weekend, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, I, I'm assuming you'd recommend that to other people who, especially those who are racing behind you. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean,
1: you have to go to a prepper. It's not like the days where everybody kind of ran their own like formula Ford. You kind of have to be part of a big team because also it's economy of scale because you have the ability to have them order multiple transmissions, which are moving into or order a large set of tires or something on those lines. And it saves you money. Plus,
0: you still have their expertise to fall back on. Right. So when I was doing spec racers it was called a sports renault true and they didn't have well yeah they had big teams but there weren't there weren't the big proliferation of of people who were you know letting them prep their cars it was still most guys were out there running their own cars Getting some advice from the from the CSRs would take the, the motors and the transmissions to the CSRs to get them rebuilt and resealed uh, and maybe put in and out. But usually the general maintenance and, – and the thing we loved about it was we were able to run 25 races on the same motor and transmission – we did all of the maintenance ourselves, which was literally changing the oil and putting on new brake pads. That's all we did for 25 races. And, and I'm looking at, at one picture with a checkered flag up there. Um, I'm looking at another picture with a checkered flag over there. And, and you could do that. Is that not so much the case anymore with the new Fords? And the, and I know there's a new transmission this year. Is, is, it still, is it really that important to have that close of a relationship with your CSR? Absolutely. Okay.
1: Especially going to the transmission. If you're running the old five-speed H pattern, those things chuck gears right. way too often, and they can turn around a transmission from taking it out of the car to putting it in the brand new one in less than ninety minutes. Nice. If I was by myself, it would take <laughs> me probably a day. Right. Like, right. They okay. they're just so good at it. And I will say one thing: our engines have gotten better. I don't think we're running the same engine. For four years now yeah, yeah. if not longer good so their endurance has gotten better so there, there are some things that you'll never probably need your csr to do right like it's right. going to be change your engines unless you goof up and go right. down too many gears or something like that but if you need their expertise for the transmission the brake pads things like that or, sure. or even like car setup because we don't have a lot of things that we can do it's only about ride high right. brake and Suspension, suspension travel. That's right. that's really all that we can do. So you have to kind of go to somebody like Mike, say, "Hey, you know, I'm oversteering here. What can we do? What little things can we do right. to help fix it?" And usually, what comes back to you: drive
0: better. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna go nitty gritty into what a spec racer Ford is, what types of things you need to do if you want to get involved, and uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about how to drive them, and um, and and what it go, what it takes to to be fast in those cars and uh, we will do all of that when we come back you are listening to inside the scca i'm brian bolanski we'll be back in just a minute i'm abby Shear, and this is inside the scca would you like to hear inside the scca live from the runoffs we're planning to do nine shows from the runoffs and eight of them will be live we'll start each race day with breakfast from the runoffs during lunch we'll do our version of a halftime show and then we'll end the day with runoffs after dark If you have a racing-related business, this is a great opportunity to reach your customers or congratulate them on getting to the big show. Maybe wish them luck. And Drivers, here's your chance to thank your sponsors. Rates are reasonable. For more info, send an email to racingwirenetwork, that's all one word, at gmail.com. If you lock in your ads by July 1st, there's a 10% discount, and we'll have that email address again in the show notes. Welcome back to Inside the SECA. I'm Brian Belansky. My guest is Brian, spelled incorrectly, Schubert. (laughs) He is a spec racer, Ford driver, Cal Club member. You're a Cal Club member, right? Of course I am. Okay. Well, you know, we get a lot of guys from a lot of different regions, so I figured as much, but... uh... He's a Southern California boy and uh, races spec racer Ford. So we've learned a little bit about his background and how he got to where he is. Uh, He's won a couple races, been racing for about four seasons. Uh, Races with uh, arguably one of the best, if not the best team on the West Coast. I'm gonna get hate mail for that from somebody. I'm sure <laughs> they
1: are the best on the West Coast.
0: <laughs> he has to say that, um, you know, or else they will double his bill next time. <laughs> but uh, so he races out of the MBI stable and uh, just won a race. What was it? Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Okay, that was our uh, our Cal Club regional or divisional races out here at uh, at Buttonwillow Raceway Park. So congratulations to that. Thank you. All right, so we've talked a lot about what you've done to get here and and this is one of the the first episode I'm doing that's kind of class specific. Uh, we did one on, on, on B-Spec earlier in early in the podcast uh, days, but it really wasn't about B-Spec as much as it was on how to kind of resurrect a class that was on the, the brink of dist, uh, extinction. Um, but we didn't really get into the cars very much. So we'll do another B-Spec episode there. So this is really the first um, episode we've done to really focus on a single car or a single class. And the reason it's a single car is because in this particular class, it's a spec class. So it's the same car for everybody. Mostly Um, you have yours as a spec racer Ford gen two, right? 3. Gen 3, okay. So, for those, let's do a little history lesson. Uh, when this class started back in the middle 1980s, it was a brainchild of the SECA of, I believe it was Nick Craw. He wanted to have a class that was evenly matched, a driver's class where they could uh, have at the time, you could buy your car for $12,000. That was the entire car. And uh, you could put it together and go racing for $12,000. Uh, the cars now, out the door, brand new, are approximately Approximately fifty-five to sixty. Okay, I think. part of that's inflation, part of that's um, th- that that yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's it's a uh, it's now two thousand and twenty-two versus nineteen eighty-five <laughs> or eighty-six, and things are just more expensive now. And the other part of it is, um, I'm, I, and I'll attest to this: the Ford is just a better motor. It's True. it's a race designed, built motor. Uh, the, the Renault that we used was literally the motor uh, out of the Lacar, if anybody's old enough to remember the Renault Lacar. Brian's looking at me like I have no friggin' idea what this guy's talking about. And, uh, and it was a stock transmission that they just sealed up, and and that's how we went racing. And a lot of guys had a lot of fun, for, and gals had a lot of fun for a long time. Uh, but it got to the point where Renault got out, they didn't have any money, uh, the parts went away, they weren't making the motors, they weren't making the transmissions, and the and SECA had to make a decision on how to keep the class going, and that's when they went to the Fords, and now we're on the third generation of the Fords. so uh, And the third generation is essentially the f- same as the second, but with just a new transmission, right? So there's kind of this weird thing. We're kind of in 3.5 3. or 3.B,
1: okay. whatever you want to call it. So the first Ford is Gen 2, and right. it is a five-speed, four-speed. I'm not sure. can't remember. It's a different transmission. It was right. a different motor. Um, but they started to reduce the weight in the car. Going into Gen 3, they go to the... Uh, five speed with the current 1.6 engine. And then now we're in the second transition. So it's gen three 2.0 where we're going to the Sadev um, six speed, uh, sequential gearbox.
0: So is it, is it paddle shifted or is it just sequential in on the stick? It's, it's the bump shift uh, okay. sequential. So it's, so like it's a not motorcycle. on the wheel.
1: It's on the floor. Very similar. It's, it's almost like your H pattern,
0: but you just go forward and backwards. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, and that's that. So the cars, they look a little bit like prototype cars. Uh, they look a little bit like the old, uh, um, a squished down version of an old Can-Am car. Yep. For those folks who aren't familiar. And uh, so it's an open cockpit. Uh, but it's closed wheels. There's fenders, uh, fiberglass fenders. It's still fiberglass, right, mostly? Correct. Okay. Um, I saw the last race, the only thing they were checking at Tech was they were weighing the hoods. I'm guessing yeah. uh, taking weight out of the hood is, is something that's uh, an easy way to lose some weight on these things? So it's actually the other way around. Adding some weight. are putting, adding weight, got right? It. Because it's going to help was, you
1: under braking.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. I knew there was some sort of an advantage for doing it one way or the other. So, um, uh, so but yeah, so it's fiberglass all the way around. Um, the cars fit the vast majority of human beings. <laughs> um, I'm a little tight these days in a spec racer Ford, but I'm a 300 pound guy. Um, but yeah, they fit most people. I actually, honestly, I think they'd fit. Just about anybody, because we have
1: these big butler seats, and they can fit somebody like Trevor Acker, who's probably a buck twenty-five. Okay, you know? <laughs> and, or and any, me? any weight? Okay. It would one hundred percent, because you can get these seats custom. Like, okay, it's not quite like where you sit in a formula car and you right. kind of sit in the trash bag and the the molding yeah. kind of forms around your body. These are couches as driver seats. They're padded and they're. They shouldn't be this comfortable. Like it is actually comfortable to sit in. If you've ever been in any formula car, even with a custom seat, it is never comfortable. But these new Butler seats are awesome and and they will truly fit anybody.
0: Okay. I'm going to have to test you on this one day and see if I can get into one of them. So, uh, so, so that's, that's basically the car they run on, on DOT ish tires you wouldn't want to put them on your street car because they get torn up real fast, but they're treaded tires. They're um, not treaded anymore. They're, they're not?
1: They're the, 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 the slicks. They're the Hoosier tires, so they have those like little notches in them, but they are true slick tires. Um, Hoosier has the, like, I call them like, a, like anti-slick or something like that, okay. so there's like sometimes small holes, but, but they're not treaded. Okay,
0: but they're considered DOT tires, aren't they?
1: I don't think so. I think they're considered see, full slick.
0: I'm learning stuff every day, folks. The, the class has come a long way. When I did it, they were Goodyear... Race, race tires good your eagle like high performance like you'd cut like you'd get on your corvette a smaller version or whatever but they were basically a street tire that they uh shaved down to three thirty seconds and and uh and that was what we raced on and then we wanted a rain tire we just didn't shave it and <laughs> and that was what the rain tires were so uh this class has come a long way over the years um what else is there? So because it's a spec class, because there's, I believe there's almost a thousand chassis out there now. Just about. Um, there's lots of cars. Usually on race weekends, the two biggest subscribed classes that we have are spec Miatas and spec racer Fords. Um, one year at the runoffs, we started 87 spec racer Fords. Uh, I've seen 30, 30 plus fields here at Buttonwillow just for a majors race. Uh, and, and I know that in other major races around the country, there have been much, much bigger fields than that. So and the cool part about that is if you're a hot dog driver like 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 Brian is here, there's plenty of people up front to, to race with. And if you're a slow old guy like me, there's plenty of people in the back to race with. And that's fun, right? Oh, that's why I got into this class. in, in all honesty, going back to the
1: conversation I had with my dad, like he wanted me to race. He didn't want me to, I hate to poke fun at some people, go into the alphabet soup groups mm-hmm. and guarantee the trophy, right? Mm-hmm. He wanted me to learn racecraft. He wanted me to actually race. And that's that's why I'm here. I, I want to race. I want to get my, you know, butt kicked by the five-time national champions because every single time they kick my butt, I get a tenth of a second quicker. Because like, oh, they're doing that in that right. corner. Oh, they did that to me. Ah, oh, it adds to my racecraft portfolio. And, and that's, that's the whole joy of... Of being part of the SECA and Cal Club and racing spec racer Fords is you are always racing. It doesn't matter if you're the fastest guy in the world or the slowest guy in the world, there's always somebody to drive against. And, you, and every single lap, you have to fight for position.
0: You know, I always tell people um, to start in a class like a spec racer Ford or a spec Miata. Or even Formula Ford, you know, where you've got to learn a slow car and how to make a slow car go fast. You know, we all want to get into, you know, a Trans Am car or you know a touring one car or whatever the case, whatever your dream car is. That's probably not the car you should learn how to be a race car driver in, because you will find if you just jump into those cars and you may win your races at the local level. Once you get to a place where there's competition, you're going to be lost. So, uh, but if you learn on one of these slower classes That when you get to the bigger class Even if you don't have a lot of competition Locally When you get to a bigger race You'll at least know what to do when the time comes So so the, the cool part About the Spec Racer Ford Is that they're so closely matched And you, the, the slightest Mistake Will put you 10-12 car lengths Back from the car in front of you And at that point, you've probably lost the draft, and you're done. So it's a very high-risk, high-reward type thing. Uh, And the high risk is don't take risks. Do what you got to do. Stay in your line. Find your points. Because when you make that small mistake, small mistakes become big mistakes in a class like Spec Racer 4. I mean, we saw
1: that as an example this weekend. You, you know, you're broadcasting with Tristan Parker, your new duo, and you guys were like, oh, Brian Schubert, he's gaining on Trevor Acker. He's doing such a good job. And I understeered just a little bit. And now I'm four wheels off the track, and I just watched him pull away. And I'm like, oh, I pushed just a little bit too hard because I knew I was closing. And it's, it's all about like those very, very small. Mistakes, as you mentioned, or you're always just on the edge because Mark Bellengi was right behind yep. me, and he was also trying to capitalize on any little mistake I made. So, like, that's that's why you join the class, is because you want to be in those racing scenarios. Sometimes you win them, sometimes you do some dumb things.
0: Yep, yep. You know, and the funny part was. And this past race weekend was a little unusual because you were t- you were paired up with other classes yep. and uh, and you weren't the fastest cars in the race. So there was a split start. And we were joking at the end of your race. They gave the checkered flag to um, the fast the, the race winner, the overall winner. And you and and Mark were right behind the guy who won the race. And the guy who was in first place in your class was right in front of the guy who won the race. So he didn't see the checkered flag. And then the checkered flag came out for Taz Harvey. And then you guys were right behind it. And I was really hoping that you didn't think that that checkered flag was going to be for you because – or it was right behind – he was right behind you guys. Yeah. But it was out. And I'm like, gosh, I hope the the two-spec racer four guys don't think their race is over. And especially – you because the only other guy who was going to capitalize was Mark I was hoping you both realized it wasn't the end of your race and the whole time I'm like oh this is going to be this could be awful but it turned out you knew it wasn't the end of your race and, uh, and it worked out just fine and um, I didn't care which one of you won. I just didn't want. To, I just didn't want one of you all to stop racing because you thought the race was over. So, because uh, I'm not allowed to root for anybody <laughs> as the announcer, bias caster. Exactly, exactly. I'm just allowed to try to put the announcer's curse on cars throughout the race. So, so what is the key? I guess there's two questions. When you're just starting out. What's the most important part? Because then we're going to talk about when you got it, when you're starting to get fast, what's important. But when you're first starting out in Spec Racer Ford as a driver, what is the key to making that leap from bottom ten to getting close to the top five every weekend? Being smooth on the brakes. What a lot of new drivers want
1: to do is they kind of go the Corvette. The Corvette effect. Mash yeah. and Squish. Yes, where you go into the braking zone, you slam on the brakes, and then you slam on the throttle. And the Spec Racer Ford, it is not that type of car. It is a very, I have to use a technical term, it's like a one-vector car, which means it can only take one input at a time. Mm. So if you're turning, you can't really be de or accelerating because... lift off oversteer the engine is truly over the rear axle so like a 911 so it's a true rear engine car not a mid-car mid-engine car so you have to be very mindful of weight transfer so when you're doing those big movements with the wheel the throttle or the brake that is in is going to induce roll and that's going to either slow you down or face you the, the direction so new drivers have to be very careful with how they come on the brakes making sure that they're not transferring a ton of weight And then when they go into the corner, it is small movements of the wheel to not induce a ton of body roll, have the car take a set, and then you can drive the car out. And the thing with the car is a lot of drivers don't kind of feel it yet. It likes to oversteer. It's a car that wants to drive with oversteer because a car that's oversteering is a car that's turning. So you kind of have to be on that edge where the car is, the back end's wanting to step out, And you're just keeping enough throttle in to keep that nice linear weight transfer where you're not breaking the slip angle and you're just carrying that momentum out. Because a lot of drivers, they want to do those big movements. It upsets the slip angle. It upsets the weight transfer. And all of a sudden, you're going to be either slow on the corner or facing the other direction.
0: So for all our roundy round friends, what's oversteer? (laughs) So,
1: all right. My favorite Jeremy Clarkson reference oversteer okay. is when you crash into a tree and die back first Yes, because the car stepped out understeer <laughs> is when you go head first into the tree and die. I, I love that top gear <laughs> reference. It's always my excuse to use it. Whenever I'm doing like an eye racing broadcast yeah. or anything like that, it's like,
0: I have to talk about oversteer and define it. Jeremy Clarkson saves me every time. Yeah, I don't remember it was Buddy Baker or, or which of the old school NASCAR guys said oversteers when your ass hits the wall first and understeers yep. when yep. your feet hit the wall first. Over. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I always just like asking that question. So cool. I, I had not heard the Jeremy Clarkson uh, version of it. So that's that's awesome. Um, so so and and I would also say in my when I was doing it, you wanted to use the brakes as little as possible. Correct. You know, a momentum car, you know, it's harder to get up to speed than it is to brush off speed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every single time you shave
1: off speed, you're going to be slow on exit. And and that's that's kind of what we're talking about, too, why I like to drive a little bit of oversteer, because that means I re- put less steering angle in. So the car is still naturally turning with little steering angle, which means I've haven't slowed the car down as much again. It's those like really fine line details. And when I like overlay my data with like TJ Acker, Mike Dino, Steve Fogg, I can see those really, really small differences. And it's maybe like a 10th of a second or less, but those really,
0: those small movements really changes your entire lap. How much does your car setup change from, let's say, weekend to weekend. Now, I know we do a lot of races at the same track out here. But let's say from Button Willow to Willow Springs, are they making a lot of changes in your car from a setup-wise? Or do they get it where you like it and then just kind of leave it? So we don't have a lot of
1: setup changes to make. It's not like a right. formula car where you can make a bajillion changes. We really only have three. So it's pretty much the same setup that i run at auto club willow springs but Willow, it's the same setup i tend to change my brake bias more than the other drivers around me mm-hmm. because i will always want to make sure those those front tires are doing exactly what they should and especially when we're in the million degree plus button willow temperature where the track temperature exceeds 130 you have to be making those Brake bias changes because you can't have the front tires that loaded because the oils are coming through the track. The track is basically driving wet almost because, again, there's dust, dirt, right. oil, and you kind of have to make those changes. But other than that, I don't touch setup
0: at all. And are you making those brake bias changes? as the race is going on or do you kind of say this is where I'm going for this session or do you, do you, do you feel it as the, as the track is changing do you make changes as you go?
1: I make the changes as the track changes so if surface conditions get better or worse I'll make those changes so our first race of the year January was raining kind of so it we were we went out on slicks but there was moisture around so i went with a rear-facing brake bias and at the end i was closer to my normal brake bias Got it. okay so it just depends on the track needs
0: got it got it um what else is is there anything else that's happening between races in your cars other than the, the standard maintenance of every couple of races, you may change the oil, change your brake pads whenever you need to change your brake pads. Is there anything else going on in those cars?
1: No, honestly, I think they're really easy to maintain. It requires kind of somebody who's proficient at it, like the MBI garage is, but it gets its tear down and it gets its tear up before the race. And that's really it. I mean, it's, it's I think, a pretty easy car to maintain once you've perfected the art
0: of it. Yeah. Yeah, that was our experience too. Uh, as long as you didn't have any big offs, we would check the suspension, you know, check the alignment at the start of the season, yep. maybe in the middle of the season, but if you if you didn't do anything extraordinary, we didn't even do that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it was literally, and I used to complain. I'm like, if I'm, why am I changing the brakes? Are you braking too much? Are you using the brakes too much? I shouldn't have to change these brakes. And of course, dad would give me, uh, you know, this, this, the, the the weird look and like, shut up and change brakes. Um, but yeah, we'd change oil every couple of race weekends. That was it. And that's probably more, much more than we even needed to.
1: I think I'm the same way. My street car, my 2011 GTI, still has the irregular, the original brakes on it because it's a manual transmission. So I can, <laughs> I don't use the brakes all that often. I can actual heel and toe downshift. Going back to the
0: Hellcat, right? I'm going uh, <laughs> to sound like a dad. You do realize that brakes are cheaper than clutches, right? <laughs> that's probably true. I, I'm pretty nice on that car. All so right, all right. <laughs> Um, so for someone who's getting in, involved, um, obviously the a brand new spec racer Ford's going to run you 55 or 60 right now. Um, do you have an idea what the, what the going rate is for a, an updated, so like with the new transmission, all of that kind of stuff, um, uh, used car is these days? So I don't
1: know about the Sadev gearbox okay, and because those haven't fully shipped yet. So So
0: let's talk about before that. Yeah.
1: So mine was 25 um, for three sets of wheels, plus the reins. It could have had a trailer, which we didn't need because MBI has massive haulers, three of them. So we didn't need that. Um, A car that ran well in San Francisco and that was it. That was, it's a good car. And, let me tell you this. If you're looking to get in Spec Racer Ford, do not be afraid of buying low unit counts. Nope. My chassis is 66. I have really? one of the oldest chassis on the West Coast, and I won the championship with it last year. Wow. So we I'm had beating nine
0: hundred. Yeah. And I... Mine, mine's an original. Wow. Yeah, because I believe the original run was 100 cars. Yep. That's a piece of history. You're dri- you realize yep. that you're driving a piece of history. Yep, yep. Do you know the provenance? Do you know who who drove the car before you? Do you ha- you know? Do you have the list of all the, the drivers who've been in it? It was a single owner car, okay. I believe. Um,
1: Hull, I think, was his last name. Okay, it it lived all over the place. Okay. At one time, it had a Canadian livery. It was white and red with the Canadian flag on it. Nice. Uh, it was up in Vancouver. It has been all around. Um, uh, and then now I have it. And again, it's chassis 66 and it races against 500 yeah. and up units yeah. most of the time. And it is equally as competitive. So if you're looking at in spec racer it, and you want to get your feet wet buy used, honestly, you don't. You don't need to. You don't need to buy brand new. I'm sure enterprise is gonna sure. like knock on my door and and carry me out at night for that one. But you you don't need a new car no. now. Maybe if you want to get the sad dev, maybe that's that's a different story because right. about half the field. Oh, no, not even half the field. Probably about a fifth of the field has the new gearbox. Right. The sad dev sequential gearbox, which I have currently. Oh, you do. Okay. Um. And they're still shipping that out. So maybe that's the way to get the gearbox and the car. That that might be worth looking at. But when I bought, it was
0: new car versus old car. And old car was way better. So I know the older gearboxes had reliability problems. Yeah. And the new ones are supposed to eliminate that. I don't know that there's enough data yet to prove that true. But let's just say they do. Um, obviously, it's an expensive upgrade. And... If you go to any of the Spec Racer Ford forums, there's lots of discussions about that. But um, from a performance standpoint, have you noticed a difference in in how you th- perceive the gearbox to work? Or do you, do you have time data that really makes you feel like there is a performance gain or or loss with the new gearbox? So it depends on the track. And I hate to echo what Enterprise
1: has said at... Button Willow and Willow Springs. I haven't really noticed a difference between somebody with a new gearbox and old gearbox. Jack Willis um, sometime this year was on the five speed H pattern. I don't think he won the race, but he beat a lot of new gearbox drivers. Right. So he was, he's always been quick and he proved that there isn't much of a difference. Now at auto club, that new gearbox without the draft completely dusted us all. Mark Bellengy, when he was testing the prototype I units remember that. from like a million miles away, could just pass trains. And that's what we do on the Roval tracks where, you know, five, ten, six cars deep, you know, nose right. to tail. And he could drive
0: past us. That was a gearing Thing. I was, I was going to say, obviously, there's a difference in gearing between the top gear in the, the new gearbox and the old gearbox, right? Yeah.
1: So okay. second through third are the same, allegedly. Right. Fourth gear is shorter. Okay. Fifth gear is shorter. And we have a
0: sixth gear. Okay. Which you didn't have before. Correct. So is the sixth gear a little more than the old fifth gear? Or is, um, or is it, or is the old, is the fifth gear the same as the old fifth gear plus a sixth gear? So
1: the fifth, so fourth gear tops, it used to top out at like 120, right? It's now about 100. Fifth gear so it gets pulled at like that 100 mark. And then at like 120, 125, that's when sixth gear okay. gets pulled. So it I've sounds only...
0: like the sixth gear is literally on top of the old fifth yeah. gear.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Okay, interesting. And I've
1: I've used it only a few times. Uh, when we ran the drag strip at Buttonwillow, okay. when I was in a draft, I would have to pull six gear. And we have yet to go to Auto Club. So I'm assuming when we have the big draft there, I might. Right. Um, And I'm assuming the Daytona guys have to use six gear.
0: Right. and I would think it like going into... Uh, Turn 5, Road America, you're probably in 6th gear. Going through the kink and heading to Canada Corner at Road America, you're probably in 6th gear. I would think maybe going into uh, Oak Tree at VIR, you might be in 6th gear. Um, I'm just trying to think of tracks where you have kind of a downhill long straight yeah. where you where you t- be able to take advantage of that sixth gear and, and 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 if that's the way it works out that makes sense um that a place like auto club or daytona where you really are on that gas for a long time yeah uh, yeah daytona daytona must feel like i've done daytona in a formula v in oh, no. I racing, I haven't done it. I I used to I did drive a Formula V. I never drove it at Daytona, but I've done Formula V in I racing, and it feels like you are at fourth gear in a Formula V for like twelve hours after you come out of the bus stop and before you get to turn one. It just feels like you're in there forever. I did a broadcast very
1: similar to that. It was the um, what do we call it? it? Not it was kind of like an all star race, if you okay. will and it was we had um a road racing series and then we had an oval series so we decided to have the best of both worlds we did it at charlotte in the v's and the uh street stocks okay and both of those poor cars were just on the rev limiter for <laughs> years it sounded like we were we were having fun in the broadcast booth and here do do all the rev limiters it was awesome
0: Okay, so we talked about how – and we're coming up on the hour that I like to try to wrap things up at because I think people lose their interest after an hour. I know I normally do. But uh, we've talked about what it takes to kind of go from being that lower bottom 10 um, to get to, like, racing around the top five on a regular basis. Now, you're you're getting to the point now where you're racing four podiums pretty much every weekend. Um, and, and how – what's the next step for a driver to have to develop themselves from that? I'm new to the car. Okay. Now I'm in the top five or getting to the top five. Now I'm going to start being on the podium. What's the next step of how to drive these cars really fast? Self-coaching.
1: It's knowing what you're doing in a corner. So we're going to button. Middle. let's say you're going into Riverside. What was happening to me was I, my car was taking a double set. So it would it find its slip angle. And then about midway through the corner, it would find a new slip angle, which means it's inducing a roll, which means I'm putting steering into it, which means I'm slow. And it was kind of working through, all right, I've identified a problem. That's cool. How do I fix the problem? Mm-hmm. And it was to put the car lower or closer to the driver's right side of the track because of the camber in the corner. So I was kind of using... Going back to daytona like the low banking portion of the corner to have the car maintain its set so it is self-coaching in that aspect where you are the car is doing this why is it doing this how do i correct this what am i doing well what am i doing wrong it's those small little nuances because when you're going against those really fast guys you know you make a tenth of a second mistake that starts to Add up. If you do it twice, I mean, that's your qualifying position. You're going from the pole to seventh place, eighth place.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely. Do you find because you've got access to the telemetry and you were telling you could lay your your laps on top of some really fantastic race car drivers. Do you find that it was more important when you first started to look at that telemetry to get you to that, I'm going to race near the top five all the time? Or do you find that you it was more important now that you're in that top five on a regular basis racing for podiums? Where is the telemetry getting you faster? What, what's the best use? Or is it just really important all the time?
1: So I think for new drivers, video is very important, but telemetry can be overwhelming because you have lines mm-hmm. and charts and graphs and you have all these weird numbers. And then you're just like looking at your piece of paper or, or your computer and you're like, oh my God, what does this mean? <laughs> what, what is this? Right. What is this witchcraft? Yeah. And people get like overwhelmed, but you can learn just as much from a new driver watching somebody who is quick and watching your own videos side by side way more than you'll look at throttle tracings and brake tracings and things like that. But when you start to get quicker, it's nice to have and see Mike Mizardino is on the throttle here and I'm here and I'm like, Oh, that's why I'm slow on that, that corner exit because he's on the throttle
0: three tenths of a second faster than me. Right. Right. And can you think in three tenths of a second? Um, <laughs> It's, Yes, because like, that's a hard no. thing to like yeah. okay. He's on the throttle I can see on the telemetry at three seconds yeah. of tenths of a second faster, but where is that really on the racetrack for me? You know what I mean? How, how it's hard, it gotta be hard to do. Well, that goes back to self-coaching. Right. Right? You have to be able to kind of process
1: that information almost live and I think my dad and I are, 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 are different style of driver where I I'm not a I'm not a natural driver where some people can just get in and be fast. They don't they don't need to have that extra brain power to process that because their brain does that subconsciously. Right. They 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 can digest that information and, and, and do it themselves where I kind of have to I have to physically think about the checklist mm-hmm. or the steps of things that I'm doing in that corner and then be able to kind of create it as an output. So can I really think in three-tenths of a second, yes and no, because I I eventually work my way to get to that point, or at least I try to work my way to that point.
0: You know, I've thought about this a lot. You know, there's a a whole group of legendary race car drivers, both in the local level, all the way up to the, 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 the professional level, who never had the benefit of telemetry and they were fast and fast and fast and all and then things like telemetry came and the younger drivers were catching them and getting fast at a quicker rate and these drivers in many cases didn't want to see any of this telemetry stuff it was voodoo to them it was you know all that hocus pocus stuff and then eventually those younger drivers are, are passing them and they can't figure out why and it's because they're using the telemetry and the tools that they have. Now the older drivers have had that telemetry their entire careers and aren't afraid of it and are able to drive faster and longer and keep the younger guys a little more at bay because they're, they're utilizing the same tools that everybody else is. And, uh, and, and I, I find that to be a really interesting dynamic and now that's come into, into the club racing level as well. And it's, it's a nice asset to have. Um, I probably
1: cheated just a bit in the telemetry. I had a gentleman named Tim Wise, who was Mario Andretti's uh, fuel strategist. So, that you know, he, he's done something. Yeah, he's done something. Uh, and, and and he's he's helped in the
0: data world. Right. Because kind of knows what he's talking about. So well, that was going to be my last question. And I think we've gotten a little bit away from Spec Racer Ford a little bit. But... Um, it, you, you talked about how that telemetry is overwhelming. You know, it's how how important is it to have someone who can teach you how to read it? Oh, it's incredibly important.
1: Whether or not it's a teammate, I know there's a lot of like online coaching, right. YouTube videos, somebody like Tim Wise. Uh, there, there are so many avenues now to to learn data, and I kind of I'm going to go backwards just a bit. When like YouTube was coming out, like nobody saw it as a tool. Yeah, what it 100 is. If you need to learn something from like
0: anything, learning how to
1: cook pasta, right. changing a tire, or learning how to read your aim dashboard, you can do it on YouTube. So I don't think there's an excuse right. at all to
0: to not use your data if you have it. All right, we've got three minutes left. What's your favorite? Well, first let's start with what's your least favorite part about racing in Spec Racer it? Oh, the heat or the buffeting. Okay.
1: I am 6'1", and Enterprise is dragging their feet on allowing us to run plexiglass, little small inch thick plexiglass windscreens. Because okay. even with a special, really nice Simpson helmet designed for formula cars, it gets a little buffety in there. And you're like, bum, 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 right, bum, right. bum. That's, that's probably my least favorite thing. And then the temperature sometimes. It, it gets toasty.
0: Well, you're also racing in Southern California.
1: Very true. Yeah. And, and but, well, nonetheless, exactly. where it's, it's, again,
0: 110 out, which means track temperatures are 130, 140. Come to Road America, where I started <laughs> racing, where we raced in a snowstorm in May once. That sounds like fun, though. Well, my, right. my favorite thing is racing the rain. Yeah. I love it. Sure. I, I
1: wish we got more of
0: it here. All right. All right. Now, second question and last question of the day. What is your favorite part about racing in Spec Racer Ford? I think this is changing over the years but it's the people Mm. And, and I
1: hate to sound like a like like I don't know like like I'm cheating with that answer but like everybody at Cal Club is awesome everybody at MBI is awesome and especially like during COVID I think that's why my opinion changed it was my escape I got to hang out with my MBI teammates for three days we get a talk hang out like it's awesome and, and of course racing and winning is just as cool don't get me wrong but i like i like the people who i'm with and yeah. I, I think that's very important like if, if you're going to be there for over 12 hours a day you want to make sure not only you love the actual activity but a lot of racing is sitting and not doing the activity so you got to right. love the people you're with too
0: right great answer great answer and the people is a theme of this entire podcast um, I can't think of very many episodes where it, that answer in some form or fashion comes up where, you know, we come to the racetrack for the cars and we stay for the people. So uh, great, great getting a chance to talk with you. Thanks for sharing your knowledge on Spec Racer Ford. Uh, thanks for sharing your story, which I think is a whole lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you're the, you and, and some of the younger guys who you race with, you're the future of the club. So, you know, getting your perspective and your thoughts on, on your particular class and what you like is really important for, for getting other folks like you call your friends tell them to become race car drivers or tell them to come out and, and be corner workers um, get on social media you guys are much better at that than we uh, us old guys are um, And uh, but we really appreciate that thanks Brian thanks for having me alright that's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA if you like what you're hearing subscribe to the Racing Wire podcast network so you won't miss an episode it would also be great if you leave a comment especially if it's a good one if it's not a good one, go find someone, else, someone else's podcast and leave it on there. You can follow us on social media, uh, find out who our next guest is, leave us a question. On Twitter, it's at RacingWireNet. There is a new Inside the SECA every week. I'm Brian Belansky. Have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. I'm Dorsey Schrader, and when I'm on my way to embrace, I'll listen to the SECA podcast Inside the Short Bus. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.